Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. The Covenant Obligations and Responsibilities. And we are talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and One work that we have already talked about is the Holy Spirit empowers. And then we said the Holy Spirit purifies. And in that purification, uh, A, on your outline, the Holy Spirit is the one who cleanses us from sin and sanctifies us. That is, makes us holy in our conduct. Uh, Also, It is the Holy Spirit that kills the desire of the flesh in us as we walk in Him. He actually mortifies the flesh. Also, it is the Holy Spirit that produces that holy conduct in us as we see the fruit of the Spirit. That is letter C. And D, the Holy Spirit is the one who changes us into the image of Jesus. And that's where we start new tonight. 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from the same from image from the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So Paul has given us a picture here of the sanctification process. And you've heard me say sanctification is simply growing in Christ's likeness. And Paul says that this comes about as we behold as in a mirror, not straight, but as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. As we see His glory, then that glory transforms us into His image from glory to glory. And it is just from the Lord the Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings this about. Now, this is the way I've had it happen in my life, and and this may be what you've seen in your own life. Perhaps you're in your study of the Word, or you could be listening to a sermon or something of that nature, but you're with the Lord, and, and you're spending time with Him, and all of a sudden He just reveals to you Uh, an aspect of his being. You just see his glory as you've never seen it before. It may be you're going through some tremendous crisis and you've just been crying out to the Lord and pleading with the Lord and he just kind of like he pulls back the veil and you get a glimpse of him as you've never seen him before. It might be his love. It might be his mercy. It might be uh, as your shepherd but you see him as you've never seen him before, and that glimpse of his glory changes you. When you come away from that experience, you are not the same. There is a work that the Spirit does in your life when you come to know and understand God in that deeper way than you have before. And the Christian life should be a series of these occurrences as we are 
ever learning and understanding and knowing God in a deeper, more complete way, though we will never know Him completely, but we're adding the knowledge of Him. It's not a head knowledge, but it's a a heart knowledge, a experiential knowledge, and in so doing, that also transforms us. Uh, it, it's just that's the way it happens. Uh, and so the more you know him, the deeper you know him, the more you're transformed into his image. And that's the importance of being in the word, and that's the importance of spending time in prayer. That's the importance of being under the good teaching and preaching of the word, listening to Christian music, because you never know exactly when it's going to come. Uh, you might be riding down the road, and maybe a scripture passage will come on the radio, or maybe a Christian you listen to Christian music, and a song will come on, and a phrase from that song, and God has just used that to really open your eyes to see something about Him you've never seen before. You know, the scripture speaks in many ways about many names used for God. Our rock, our refuge, our fortress, our shepherd, the bright morning star, the door, uh, the life, the light of the world, all these things. And as we understand and see him in these ways, it transforms us, and we're never the same. And Paul talks about that being transformed from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Next, Christian maturity comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is good because it doesn't depend on you to try to muster up the spiritual growth. And we do cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. But in the final analysis, it is the Spirit that is bringing about uh, that spiritual growth. Paul says, but we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification, through growing into Christ's likeness, through spiritual maturity. How? By the Spirit and faith in the truth. You got the Spirit and you got the Word. When you combine the Spirit and the Word, and faith, then you got spiritual growth. You got sanctification taking place. The spirit, the word, the truth, and and faith. I mean, those things will take those three things will take you through anything and take you into great heights of glory with the Lord. Believe in His word. Believe in the truth, as the Spirit empowers and enables. That sanctification, God's chosen you for that purpose from the beginning. Before the world was created, he chose you to save you and for you to grow into Christ's likeness. Sanctification. As you read the word, as you believe the word, as you obey the word in the power of the spirit, you will grow spiritually. That's where spiritual growth comes from. Believe in the word, obey in the word, in the power of the spirit. That's food for your spirit. Exercise. Just like a physical body needs food and needs exercise, your spiritual body needs food and exercise. The food is the word. Faith and obedience is the exercise. 
And the Spirit uses that to bring about spiritual growth. All right? Paul said, for I am confident of this very thing. He could have said, you know, there may be some things I'm not sure about, but this is not one of them. I am absolutely sure of what I'm about to tell you. You can take it to the bank that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit will work in you, and he will continue to work in you, bringing you into ever-increasing levels of spiritual maturity, and that's what perfect means. It means to to bring to a, to a goal, to bring to a completion, continue to work until the day Jesus comes back. Now, he won't need to work when Jesus comes back because, you know what, we're going to be transformed into his own image when we see him. Isn't that what First John 3 says? He said, Beloved, you are children of God, but it has not appeared yet what you shall be when he appears. You shall be like him because you shall see him. Hallelujah. See, that's that. Man, we see only in a mirror now, and those stages of, of glorification and stages of sanctification come gradually. But when we see him straight out, whoop, instant sanctification. Hallelujah. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it's God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're to work, but realize even in that work, it's God who is energizing you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We have the responsibility to do, but realize as you're doing, it's him enabling you to do, right? So the Holy Spirit, and then in Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, glorify you entirely, make you, holify you, excuse me, holify you entirely, make you like Jesus entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved, complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he will one day sanctify you entirely when Jesus comes back and you'll be presented blameless with great joy in his presence, as Jude tells us. And it is the Spirit of God that works to bring about this spiritual growth and maturity. All right, that's E in your Roman numeral 1. Christian maturity comes by his power. Now let's move to a, another aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. We have seen he empowers. We have seen that he purifies. Now we're going to move to his work of revealing. The Holy Spirit is the source of all revelation. 
I would go so far as to say no truth is known apart from the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about just biblical truth. I'm talking about any truth. I think even when an unbeliever, say an unbelieving scientist, discovers some truth, I believe it is the Holy Spirit that has enabled him in common grace to discover that truth. I don't believe the depraved mind left to itself can do that. But the common grace of the Holy Spirit, as he shines on the unbeliever and the believer as well, is one that enables any truth to be discovered or understood. But uh, number A, letter A, the Holy Spirit reveals God's Word to the Old Testament prophets and writers. His revelation, first of all, was in the Old Testament to the writers and prophets. Peter says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. In other words, he says a true prophecy presented by a true prophet in the Old Testament was not something he just dreamed up and decided he wanted to say. It was not according to his own will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now that word moved was used in New Testament times to speak of the wind blowing a ship across the waters. Moving the ship across the waters. The wind just pushing, moving that ship, pushing it across. This is a picture. The Holy Spirit. Remember the word wind and the word spirit? Same word. All right? And it's a picture of the Holy Spirit as a wind would blow a sailboat across the ocean. So the Spirit of God moved in the lives of these men so that they spoke the exact words God wanted them to speak. I don't think they always understood exactly what they said or all of what they said. If it was pertaining to things too far in the future, I don't think they understood the fullness of that. That's for us to understand as we look back on the Scriptures. Because many prophecies had a both a near and remote fulfillment. Like uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, a virgin shall give birth. That word virgin can mean maiden. And the original prophecy was spoken of Isaiah and his children, but there was a remote prophecy about Christ. And, and so you have that sometimes in the Old Testament, a near fulfillment and a remote fulfillment. I think they probably understood the near fulfillment when they gave the prophecy, but they probably didn't foresee the remote fulfillment. But God spoke, and they and it wasn't like they went in a trance and all of a sudden just started words coming out. None of that, that's not what we're given in Scripture at all. That's not the picture we're given. But like wind moving the ship, the Holy Spirit moved them. He superintended and enabled them to speak the words God wanted them to speak. Ezekiel says, Then the Spirit of the Lord 
fell upon me. And he said to me, Say, thus says Ezekiel, no, the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Again, the Holy Spirit moved on the prophet Ezekiel. And when Ezekiel spoke, he was speaking the very words of the Lord. Zechariah. They made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law of the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great wrath came upon the Lord of, from the Lord of hosts. All right, how did he send the message, his message, by his Spirit through the prophets? In Matthew, he said to them, Jesus, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. He's quoting from Psalms written by David, a psalm written by David, and he attributes those words not to David, but to David as the Spirit moved him. How does David in the Spirit? as he was moved by the Spirit, say. And then in Acts, Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And this is when they're talking about replacing Judas. And so they saw it again as the Holy Spirit speaking through David. And again, over in Acts 4, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? That's from Psalm 2. But again, he's attributing the words of David to the Holy Spirit. Now, we do not, I repeat, we do not have prophets in the New Testament with the same authority as the Old Testament prophets had. We do not have men today that are speaking God's direct revelation as the Old Testament prophets did. We don't need it because we have it right here. They did not have the Scriptures. And so God spoke through them in a unique way. And any man that claims to have the same inspiration as the Old Testament prophets, be weary of him and get away from him. He does not have the authority of the Old Testament, even the New Testament prophets. And it speaks about the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. I do not believe they had the authority of the Old Testament prophets. Again, they had the scriptures. They had the Old Testament. God does not is not giving new revelation. He's given us everything we need right here. So anybody that claims to have new revelation, don't believe it. All right? And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul and had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet, to your forefathers. Again, 
Paul's quoting from a passage out of Isaiah, and he says it wasn't just Isaiah's words, but it was the words of Isaiah as the Holy Spirit directed him. And because of that standard of the Old Testament prophet, having this inspiration to speak the very words of God, that's why the test of the prophet is given. And that is what? 50% accuracy? 95% accuracy? 100. If one thing he prophesies does not come about, he is not from the Lord. Is that clear? And that test was needed because they had a special place in Revelation. All Scripture is inspired, and we know that means God breathed, right? Theonustia is the Greek word. Theo is God. Nustia is spirit. God breathed, because the word for breath is the same as the word for spirit, right? All right. So God breathed, pneuma is the word for spirit. We get pneumonia from it because of the lungs and air associated with the lungs. Pneumatic, uh, anything has to do with, with air. It comes from that word for wind and spirit. Agios pneuma is holy spirit. And God breathed means God spirited. It was the spirit of God that moved upon the writers to give them the very words God wanted them to have. And he used their personalities. You can see the different personalities of various writers. And so it was a a miracle. It was a miraculous work. The Bible is a miracle just as the incarnation is a miracle. The incarnation is God taking on humanity. The Bible is God using men to speak his very words. The perfect God using imperfect men to speak his perfect word. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. There's no way imperfect men could come up with a perfect word without the miraculous working of God's spirit. The Bible is a miracle. Because it is the words of men and at the same time, the words of God. Without separation, without distinction, as originally given. It's a miracle. So every time you pick up the Bible, you're picking up a miracle. And, I mean, God would not give an imperfect word to imperfect men, or we'd never have anything, would we? (laughs) But the way that he moved through the writers and had them write exactly what he wanted them to write, and yet their own personality is seen in it, 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 is, it is. And this passage has to do with the Old Testament. When Paul says all Scripture, he's speaking of the Old Testament. And that brings up, well, how do we know the New Testament is inspired? Well, because Jesus anticipated and provided for the New Covenant the New Testament's inspiration when he said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own 
initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. When Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would lead them into truth, he was anticipating the writing of the Gospels and the writings of the other letters of the New Testament as being the very words of God. All right. Ephesians. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul is writing, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And what is that mystery? To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. God did not reveal in the Old Testament days that the Gentiles were going to be a part of the body, although there were clear hints that the gospel was to go to all nations. But through now, through the apostles and prophets, the new covenant leaders, the Spirit was making that known. And his father, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Again, here we have the Holy Spirit moving through Zacharias, even as he did through the Old Testament prophets, because he was still in the Old Testament. The New Covenant had not come yet, remember? Jesus had not even been born at this time. Uh, But again, we have in Scripture those very words that the Holy Spirit gave him. All right, that brings us to... Conclusion tonight, next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up. The Holy Spirit not only revealed the Word of God to the Old Testament writers and prophets and to the New Testament covenant, but he also gives evidence of God's presence. And we'll pick that up next week, Lord willing.